Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Patamaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing pretty good myself. It's episode 87, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, uh, we're doing a deep dive on Elysian. So Elysian is one of our least drafted archetypes, and Time is considered one of the worst colors. I think Time and Primal, people have different opinions on which one they like least, but uh, usually it's those two that are in contention, which puts Elysian in a kind of interesting spot. So we kind of wanted to do a deep dive on what a good-looking Elysian deck might be. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds good. I uh, like everyone else who has drafted this format. I've had very little experience drafting Elysian, uh, just because it's sort of hard to get into a, a strong uh, set of cards um, if you if you limit yourself to those two factions. Uh, so the I just naturally drift into other other factions nearly every time. But um, I've had a little bit of success, as we'll talk about later, um, and uh, other folks have 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 done some experimenting too. So we'll see what we can we can see what we can dig up. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about uh, this topic with you because I do know that you've had some success with time in this format. With time, yes, yes, less with and primal, so, but definitely time. Yes, and so would you? Would that be mainly in Cambrai then? Yeah, um, I I would say for myself, uh, no contest that Justice is the strongest faction uh, right now, and so and there's a there are some good ways of pairing it with Time, where you end up with a strong deck. But uh, if I pair Time with anything but Justice, I have a, a much more difficult time. Uh, I've I've had some good Praxis decks as well. If I can get some Sentinel synergy going on. Um, I can, I've, I've had some strong practice decks too, but my, I had a really, really hot run of Combray for a while there. And, um, and, and that's because, uh, and that's because, uh, justice was, was, uh, giving time sort of the raw card power that it needed in order to make, uh, some of, uh, some of time's strong points really shine through. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree. I think one of the uh, one of the issues is that both Elysian and Time um, both have some good cards in them, but tend to also have a lot of support cards. And putting two support cards can, um, you know, so- sometimes makes it tough to get a- the number of playables that you need to make a cohesive deck. Right. Um, so, for example, there's not a lot of really strong. Uh, two drops in time like you've got send for the reserves which can be used as a two drop but then you're not really using that card to its full potential you can just get a two one on turn two if you absolutely need it um but really you want to wait until you can make two or three uh soldiers so but uh justice has bastion gatekeeper on two so you've got your two drop um you you've got something strong to do and then Bastion Gatekeeper also plunders so that you can ensure you're able to play some of your more expensive time cards, which are those large sentinels and things um, that have some actual punch, gets uh, gets a, a treasure trove so that you can maybe activate a wormstone if that's what your if that's what your big punch is, uh, which is the reason that you're playing time. Um, 
it kind of justice just kind of fills in the curve in a way uh, that time can't really do on its own because time's very strong in the late game. Center of the Reserves is a great late game uh, uh, card, and then time, of course, has those giant sentinels. But justice gives you stuff that you can do early. It gives you removal in those relic weapons, and it gives you units that can really hold the hold the fort until uh, until you get the big boys rolling. Yeah. But what I do hope with this episode and kind of the thing that I found when preparing for this episode is I do think that there is a pretty sweet looking deck out there that that should theoretically not be that hard to draft. You know, like I think the pieces are there for a good Elysian deck. Um, You know, some things have to fall in place, but it's not at, you know, one of the things I've constantly criticized the Xenon uh, Mandrake deck is that feels very uncommon focused. And I think the pieces are there in Elysian to have a lot of cute synergies with, you know, a couple uncommons because there are a lot of powerful, um, especially time uncommons in the draft packs. But, you know, like the pieces are there to make a coherent deck. And that's kind of what we want to explain. Yeah, and we have some deck lists that we can look at later on, so we'll be able to get into specifics. But before we get into that, we want to thank all our patrons of the show who make this possible week after week. Um, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal, where you can uh, donate, I guess you call it donate, donate to us for as little as a dollar a month. You get access to a private channel on the Discord, you get our show notes, and you get some bloopers and We've had a couple already, and we're only five minutes into the show. Yeah, so, they're, they're fun. They're going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I never know if the like the bloopers are like more fun for me because I was like there for them, um, or if people. I think, I think people them. really like them. I think uh, the feedback tends to be, "Yay, we got a blooper," <laughs> which is, <laughs> I think, well, all you can really expect. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so. And you get a shout out each and every week on the show. So thank you to Cotillion, Loki Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abidnego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homrid, Raven Dragon, Esrit 0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yestel. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Yes, we do. All right. So uh, to begin with, how was your draft week this week, Hats? Uh, real good. Uh, I had a little bit of a weird run where I wasn't able to get anything going, and I, I would blame that on the fact that uh, everybody playing Eternal and drafting Eternal apparently decided to just mess with signals as much as they possibly could and just take random cards, so it was impossible to tell <laughs> what I was supposed to be drafting. Uh, but then I rallied, and I've had a pretty good run since then. I have nothing to complain about numerically because right before we started the uh, started recording the podcast, I retook rank one, and now the game no longer wants to match me with anyone. <laughs> so I guess I do have something to complain about. I, I, I let it I let it uh, I let the I let it queue for about six minutes uh, before I said, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to wait until there's more people playing, more people who are like closer to me in rank, so that I can actually get matched. Um, I'm, I don't want to wait eight minutes 
for whatever poor silver ranked player <laughs> is just trying draft for the first time and then gets ranked again, gets matched against the rank one drafter <laughs> and doesn't know why they lost. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in that game. So I, I quit for the night. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a, a good thing to do, I think. Yeah, there, I'm. I think maybe this is not a topic that we can get into, but it does feel like there's fewer people drafting uh, lately. So I hope there's an influx at some point. So uh, we get a few more people on in the queues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We probably shouldn't get too much into it. I, I do think that that is true. It is kind of interesting that I do keep seeing new names pop up. Yeah. yeah, so do I. I see a few na- uh, a few new names pop up that seem really serious about drafting, like they migrated over from from uh, Magic the Gathering or something, and uh, and are really into it because uh, they're good at it. But I've never seen them before. So yeah, that and does happen. I, I see the same familiar names in you know in Masters right now. So it is kind of yeah, it's a little hard to explain. I wonder if people it's. It does seem um, sort of on the newsy side of things, like because the mini set or campaign is coming out today, which will be in the past for everyone listening to this. So I imagine that sometime next week they're going to change the draft packs. So we'll see if that invigorates draft for a little bit. Yeah, just get some just get some people back into it for a little while. And uh, I guess I guess my pro tip, like what I've been having the most success with recently uh, is that I've been drafting Argentport, Justice Shadow, usually splashing fire for a couple of cards such as Metal Fang or Auto Tread or uh, like a removal spell or two, Combust or something like that. Uh, that has been by far my strongest um, uh, archetype to go into lately. And I attribute that mostly to the fact that then you get access to a ton of removal between Send to Market and the Relic Weapons in Justice and just random removal spells in shadow. And then you you also get flyers because you get all the Valkyries and you get uh, access to a, a couple of really good uncommons that are Argentport based. So yeah, uh, you don't even need that high uh, card quality overall, as long as you have uh, like just a few powerful cards and then a bunch of filler, and then you've got your Argentport deck. It's, um, it's it's just done real well for me, much better than drafting fire as a dominant faction. Uh, I know other strategies are working out better for other people, but this one's just nailing it for me right now. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Argentport can sometimes win just like never playing anything bigger than a one-two flyer, and they just like have enough of them in the air that all, you're yeah. just like, well, I guess I'm can't win because i can't stop all of those flyers that they have there yeah you just flood the air or else maybe you get a little bit of that shoal dredger synergy and that's kind of what's fueling it um there's a lot of powerful things you can like sort of sub themes that you can concentrate on while still having that uh, that core of like attacking with little dudes in the air and removing everything relevant that your opponent tries to do yeah so it's a strong strategy if it's open at all yeah yeah, yeah, it's always interesting to me because I feel like that happens to me sort of on a week to week basis where I'll just have like a few runs, maybe not even necessarily in a row, but like my faction pairing sort of cluster together. 
And I don't know if that's like a bias in drafting where like for me this past week or two, I've not every draft has been Huru, but I've had sort of the majority of drafts have been Huru. It feels like, and the, that deck feels like it keeps being open and I've been doing pretty well with it. And, you know, before that I've had like a little run with Rakano and then with Combre kind of like that. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think that is definitely natural. Like, uh, like for me, I haven't been drafting Huru that much because I've gotten burned taking a few Maveloft elites and then not getting the Amplify cards to make them mm-hmm. any good. And so I don't take them as high as, as I would otherwise. Uh, and so that means like either, like I'm just not going to end up in primal that often these days. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, and and because I've had so much success with justice, I can just sort of stick with it. I don't know. I mean that 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 happens. Um, uh, I I think that I'm 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 taking the time to plug Argent Port right now because I've come back to it several times and it's always continued to be good, even though I've had good runs with Combray and Huru and Fire based decks in the past. The only the only thing that's been like. A, uh, consistent where once I have the deck, I'm like, you know, this isn't going to go zero three. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but it's not yeah. going to just train wreck because uh, it's just too consistent. And then you have people like Better Up, who is, I guess, still fighting the good fight and drafting Rakano, as far as I can tell, every single draft. I mean, that's working for Better Up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly he's 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 doing well. <laughs> he's doing well at draft. So that's also a reliable strategy. And he just knows how to do it well. And I don't. I mean, I know how to draft a fire deck if I have to. But I just have had, I've just gotten, uh, again, burned too many times going in on fire too hard uh, that I just don't do it anymore. So what are you going to do? I yeah. prefer it as a splash. Mm-hmm. So how was your draft week? Yeah, my draft week has been pretty good. It's a little quiet. I've been doing fewer drafts than my pace was uh, a few weeks ago. So I've actually only done about six drafts since the the month, this new month. But I haven't had a draft that's done worse than 5-3. Um, and one of and one of them was a seven win. So I've had a whole bunch of six threes. So I've been drafting well, just <laughs> not a ton. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I've been having a lot of Huru decks. And sort of to touch on what you were talking about, it's funny. I feel like my Huru decks have also not had a lot of Mavaloff deletes. And I guess that would make one question why they end up Huru. But I feel like Justice is so strong. They've just been like, a strong justice base. And then in the draft packs, I just like end up with a a couple, um, uh, Jarl or what is it? The Froskins, Jotun Frost, what are they called? Jarl's Froskin. Yeah. Yeah. The Jarl's Froskin or a couple court mages or something. And then I have those Froskins, by the way, if those Froskins were soldiers, like that deck would be better like by like some some fold you know yeah <laughs> like the fact that they're giants is always frustrating to me i'm like this should be a soldier like it should be a giant soldier and then it should activate all the cal on allies and cards like that yeah yeah if you can make a bird soldier you can make a giant soldier yeah um, it, it makes more sense for a giant to be a soldier than for a bird to <laughs> a be bird. one <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. So I don't know. And I, I've been having a fair bit of luck. I mean, even if I haven't been, they haven't been explosive decks. You can also just like pick up a whole, a whole bunch of Valiant Leaps sometimes. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, those sort are of wide open usually. Just have like kind of this like nothing super impressive looking, but a, a little bit of a tempo-y deck and you just get in enough chip damage and then you figure out a way to win at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just so kind of grind in there, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of been um, been my week. Uh, the other exciting thing I've been doing, um, I guess, is I've been releasing a couple uh, YouTube videos of me sort of reviewing draft games that I've played with a few of my different draft decks. Um, so that's also been kind of a, a fun experiment. It's something we've we've... I always talk about and Shab has mentioned a lot and a lot of good players about reviewing your own draft games. And I was never very good at it. So I thought I'd force myself to do it by releasing it, <laughs> releasing it on the Internet. Yeah. And, and I've and I've watched those videos and they're really and they're really interesting and good. Um, and especially they're especially interesting because you do this great analysis on on the game and then your past self who is in the game might make a different choice and and the the times when like current you is baffled by what past you did <laughs> are, are great because that is what it's like like when you're in the game you get uh i at least i get um like extreme tunnel vision sometimes where i'm not really taking in the whole game and i'm making decisions based on uh on on uh preconceptions or like the you know just an idea that i got in my head um and 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 watching that process because you're you're both past patrick and current patrick is, are are both active at the same time on screen is really fascinating yeah that's what I, i've been kind of trying to do that in the sense of i'll usually wait a day or two before i re-watch the game so it's it is kind of funny because I have like an inkling of what I do. And so like sometimes I'm like, oh, I remember definitely doing this. And then I like talk about it with the assumption that I definitely do it. <laughs> and then I, I turn out that I did something totally different. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. The one, the, the one game where you're holding off a whole army of units with a single 5-5 five five and you keep attacking with the 5-5 five five and the uh your analysis running up to the attack is always i definitely don't attack here there's no way <laughs> i could possibly because that would be wrong <laughs> it's trading like five damage for like eight damage every turn why would i do that <laughs> yes exactly so uh it is both something that i hope people check out and just an exercise that i would really recommend because um I feel like it it is helping me in my gameplay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a cool thing. It's another cool reason to be on the Discord. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to pick of the week. What is your pick of the week, Hats? Uh, my pick of the week uh, is bring into focus. Uh, it's a card. Um, it's a card in Justice. It costs two Justice. It is a fast spell, and it says draw a Justice sigil from your deck. Amplify three, draw an additional Justice Sigil from your deck. Um, and I wanted to highlight it because it's not an obviously strong card, and I play it 
fairly often in my decks, but I don't see very many other people play it often. So I thought it was at least worth talking about. Um, uh, at its at, at its most basic, like without an amplify, it is a spell that replaces itself with a justice sigil. And then once you get to five, then you're drawing two cards with it. They're both justice sigils, but it is drawing two cards off of one card. And then, you know, of course, you can draw three or more if your game goes late, which uh, if your game is going late, then the, the thinning effect that this has by drawing more justice sigils out of your deck um, does, does potentially have an effect because you really want to maximize how many uh, real cards you're drawing at that point and not draw more justice sigils once you're at eight. But of course, it also helps if you know how many justice sigils total are in your deck. So you don't cast a bring into focus for more justice sigils than you can possibly draw. <laughs> um, yeah, I tend to... Uh, I'll pick a bring into focus if I know I'm in justice um, and there's no other card in the pack that I'm excited about playing. Because if I end up with uh, without enough two drops, uh, I'll probably just play bring into focus and then play one less sigil in my deck than I normally would. Um, and I'll just have, because bring into focus will give me something to play on two. Uh, and then uh, it's a card where if you top deck it, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's better than top decking a sigil because you get to thin a sigil or two sigils or three sigils out of your deck at that point. Um, so I think it's generally superior to playing a sigil. If I have enough two drops and my curve is really healthy in my deck, I probably won't bring into focus play. I uh, will probably won't actually put the bring into focus in my deck because um, then I, I'm almost certainly going to have something to do on turn two, and it's not worth um, spending the power just to replace a card in my hand with a sigil. Um, but I have never felt in in decks with a more uneven curve like playing bring into focus instead of just a plain sigil hurts me. Um, it seems like just sort of an upgrade to my deck to have access to it. Mm -hmm. So two questions I have. Uh, one is, um, do you feel the same about Roland's favor? Yes, uh, although I think bring into focus is better um, than Roland's favor in a deck that doesn't have uh, relic weapons in it. But Roland's Favor is probably superior if it does have Roland, uh, uh, Relic Weapons. Roland's Favor is um, a, a slow spell, costs two Justice, draw Justice Sigil from your deck, and gain two armor. Um, I, I do tend to play... Uh, I would play a Roland's Favor for the same reason if I don't have enough other things to do on turn two. Um, I wouldn't play it and 18 power. I would play it and 17 power so that I'm not more likely to flood. Um, and then if it were, if it for some reason was a choice between bring into focus and a roll in its favor, then that would have to do with if I was playing relic weapons and I thought it would have an actual effect on the game. Because otherwise, the fact that bring into focus can draw multiple cards from your deck is makes it a superior card. Okay. And do you take advantage of the fast speed of this? Oh, yes. Is that you, yeah, that's absolutely. A, a big benefit, you think? It's not a huge benefit if you don't have other fast effects in your deck, but I do think that it, it makes a difference. 
Um, it makes a difference even on that turn. Like I've had people when I was playing Huru, I've had people not attack into two power that I've left open because they didn't want to get lightning striked, you know. <laughs> and then I bring it to focus instead. It's not. Right. It's not totally irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. I it, it's I consider bringing to focus kind of a combre card, um, uh-huh. because it combre is where it has a, a bunch of synergies and. Um, you know, for for me, just like my perspective of the card, it's the thing I like about Combray is since it's an amplified card, it goes really well with Ancient Machinist. It goes well with Leyline Tracer. The fact that it's fast speed is really great for those two cards in particular. Yes. Yeah. You know, you can pop your waste your Wormstone with it, which is really nice. It draws a ton of power, so you can get up to your big Sentinels if need be. So, I I. I do like it as a Combray card, but the, I, those things are all true. I think you're right. It's stronger in Combray for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I, I was I was mostly discussing what its effect is if it doesn't have any particular synergy with anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in Combray, yeah, it has all of those things. Um, and in Huru, it has those things too because it's amplifies three, so it you know it's not the best with something like Mabeloft Elite, but it activates uh, your shock troops just fine. Um, yeah, it a little bit late in the game, but you know you only have to you only have to make them a four four once for them to feel like it's worth it, even if you do it on turn five. No, I agree. Uh, my thing is, uh, at least when I've been playing the card uh, outside of Combray, I am always surprised <laughs> that it's amplified three, <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, it I'm always at four power, and, and I'm yeah. like ready to draw those two sigils and then i'm like wait a second i actually think it would be a little overpowered if it were amplified too i know that sounds funny to say for a card that has so little effect on the board but like if i could if if i got to six power and i could just draw three cards with a single card like that was it's too good no i i agree i wish there was like some way you could have a staggered because i do think that if I think on the first amplify that like a four cost draw two sigils is totally fine. Yeah. But I, after that, it it becomes a ridiculous card. I, I, I do agree that like amplified two doesn't work. It's just like I wish there was like a two point five or like every time you amplify, it gets plus one to the amplify cost or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Just write a book on the card. <laughs> just yeah. like put a whole novel there. Um I, I, since you mentioned Ancient Machinist, I just wanted to point out that it's very difficult in this format to turn Ancient Machinist into a 5-5, like to cast something with Amplify that adds up to 5. There's a lot of things that add up to 6. It's like Send for the Reserve starts at 2, and then it's got Amplify 2. So the first time you can turn Ancient Machinist into anything is at 6, so you turn it into a 6-6. Six, six. Same thing with Cobra Gear. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of cards that are like start at three and then have amplify three, or maybe I've just named the only one. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, obviously, hardiness can amplify for whatever, so you can turn it into a five. But but ancient machinist is in this weird spot where it starts where it can grow into a giant beast, but it can't do it on turn five very often. And so bring it to focus is one of the few cards that can do it. Yes. Cool. I think that's so, about all there is about bring into focus. No, I, I think that's probably more than anyone um, other than us has thought about bringing to focus. It's worth talking about. <laughs> no, I agree. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, what's yours? What's your pick of the week? I have probably less to say about this card, but my pick of the week is uh, Stalking Cyberfang, which is the three primal tutu with Berserk and Fate. If you have two or more units, Cyberfang gets plus two, plus two. And at the start of the game, shuffle this into your opening hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or else, draw, or else draw it immediately after yeah, you start, which is it, worse. <laughs> in your top three card. Yeah, in your top ten cards. It's, it's, yeah. As far as I can tell, it is impossible to get the plus two, plus two fate buff on this card. But even still, I actually kind of like this card. I'm not, like, putting three of these in my deck. But, you know, like I said, I've been drafting Huru a lot. And... The card's not great, but just Berserk is so strong <laughs> in Huru with all the Justice pump spells, um, you know, the uh, like Valiant Leap, putting this in the air, giving it plus two, plus two, and then just doing like eight points of damage out of flying damage out of nowhere. Yeah, that's um, 12 points of damage. I mean, unless, of course, it's a two, two, in which case... Yeah, it's never it's a four, four. You just have to assume <laughs> okay, you're sorry. never getting this to be a four, four. <laughs> I forgot. It's a two two with Berserk at all times. Got it. <laughs> Banish the thought of this ever being a three cost four four from your mind. Yeah. Um, but I I think um, I I guess my point was like when I first saw this card, I kind of read it as like, oh, this is gonna be great. Like a three cost four four with Berserk is a very strong card. And then um, I think myself and the community on the whole has like brought this card. Do they? This card went way down in their opinion. Like people, I don't think respect this card or play it very often. Um, but I've just been finding that like it's a card that I don't, especially with enough tricks and stuff, that I don't mind having a copy in my deck and. You don't need to get upset when it's never a 4-4. It's never going to be a 4-4. It can still do work, and you can still be happy having you know a copy in your deck. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had this card played against me a few times, and it always feels like my opponent is getting very lucky when they draw Cyberfang, and, they, uh, and they've got two units already on the board. Um, but then they'll do it repeatedly, and then it no longer feels like luck. And I want to, and I want to see like, hey, why, why is this deck, why is their deck working? <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to think about it. I want to be sure why. Uh, when I first saw the card, so there were, there's all of these uh, fake cards that draw that. There's a lot of fake cards in this set, and I at first was very excited about the grafters. And the idea of being able to get cards like Cyberfang out of the market. So when you got them out of the market, you know you have two units already. So it's always going to be a four-four. And one of the thing, one of the reasons that I'm disappointed—well, it's going to be a five-five in that case because it's grafted. But um, uh, one of the reasons that I I soured on Cyberfang earlier than the other fate cards is that the ability that the that the primal grafter gives is Berserk, and Cyberfang already has it. So you're not upgrading it as much as you could be if you were getting something else out of the market. Um, 
And that that might not be a rational reason to not put a stalking cyber fang in a market, but it, it's annoying. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, no, I, yeah. I agree. And I, I actually haven't been playing it in my market, probably for similar reasons. It's funny, though, because no, it's even better than like a five or, you know, a four, four berserker, like two cards with berserk and one of them getting plus one plus one you know if you have a second card in your hand that's true um, yeah then the, then it's totally fine it's it's just nice to uh sometimes i've just not i just don't have a unit in my hand you know but i do have a grafter yes so uh the other thing that seems important is that uh cyberfang is better in sort of a granadine kind of a deck it's a granadine itself and I think if you have a very low curve, you're more likely to draw this thing when you have a couple of units on board already. So I think that helps. Um, but it's that's not the Huru deck, so you're not going to have uh, that many ways of making the Berserk really good in that case. So it's a card with a certain amount of tension in it, I think. Yes. Yeah, and and I agree. And I... I guess my my feeling after having played a few of these and done pretty well in Huru in the, the last couple weeks is just like, I think it's easy to give this card short shrift because it's like disappointing because it never lives up to its potential. But that doesn't make it necessarily a, ba- a bad and totally unplayable card. You, you know what I mean? You're like... Yes. It's easy to be like, oh, man, this thing is never a 4-4 with Berserk. But then you're just like, well, actually, you know, a 2-2 with Berserk can sometimes, like, close out a game if need be. It can make opponents' blocks awkward at the end of the game when you're alpha striking and then you Berserk this and then they don't know what to do um, because they have to respect it. You just, opponents have to respect a unit with Berserk. And so even though it doesn't play, play as good as you hope it plays it ends up playing well enough yeah you're kind of building your own passionate stone hammer you know which is just a two one but it yeah. wins a lot of games because it has berserk <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. so yeah i i wouldn't call what i'm saying a ringing endorsement of the card but you know you can play but it's it. valuable to see the potential in cards uh in all of the possible commons in 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 your factions because uh, uh if otherwise you're losing out on potential yes all right so we'll move on to the seven win run breakdown this is our long-standing data collection project here at farming eternal where people can send in their seven win drafts to either farming eternal at gmail.com um or you can post them on the Seven Wind channel of the Farming Eternal Discord in either exported decklists or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we take this information, we put it in a spreadsheet, we do some uh, factional breakdowns as well as uh, some breakdowns of the top commons and stuff. And we give a shout out to everyone who did it, um, sort of as a congrats for getting a Seven Wind run in the past week, or in this case, two weeks, because we missed last week's episode. So... Thank you to Beard Broken, Bravo Choke, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, Gato Sujo, Gunner 116, Hats on Lamps, Iplong No, John Avon, Madness, Meadow, Meavers, Out on a Limb, Potamaru, Raven Dragon, Shab, Surf Wizard, Tempest Dragon King, Twin Hex, Vader, and Who Does That? 
And as always, thank you to John Holio for entering all the deck lists. All right. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of more of the same um, where Justice is sort is sort of uh, clearly in the lead as the top faction now um, with Fire right behind it and then Shadow, then Time and then Primal. So um, since the pack change, which you might not even remember it happened about a month ago. Um, you know, we've had 224 drafts, um, 412 in the whole format, but it, of the 224 that happened since the pack changes, uh, the minor pack changes that happened a little while ago, uh, justice is in about, uh, 55% of decks fire is 48 shadow 38, uh, Time is in 29 and Primal's in 20% of the decks um, that we have. Uh, the one interesting thing about all of these numbers is they're all pretty similar to uh, pre-pack change, except that uh, they're all more or less either the same or slightly lower, which means we, we've had a trend of fewer and fewer three-color decks. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I think that's uh, interesting to point out. It's kind of goes against uh, the deck list that you've been posting <laughs> in the yeah. well, channel recently. I personally may be crazy, but uh, but it also reflects the uh, that I think Bannerman um, is less common now, and possibly yes. Seek Power as well. I'm not actually sure about that, but I, th I feel like I see fewer of them. So that would just affect um, all of our ability to to splash effectively. Yeah, and, and that's kind of my feeling, too. I think it's mostly to do um, that was the major difference is you're just seeing so many few bannermen and uh, seek powers. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably yeah. all that is. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as our as far as the top comments, I'll just go through the top 10. And then if you want to see beyond that, you can uh, join the Discord and uh, see the list there. Uh, I've been posting them more or less every week. Uh, so number one, still Barricade Basher with uh, out of 412 lists, 239 copies. Send to Market actually has gotten a big boost uh, since we last did this a couple weeks ago. So it's number two. Uh, with 236 copies, so right behind uh, Barricade Basher. I think I am personally responsible for <laughs> at least 74 of those. <laughs> yeah, that's very possible. We've definitely had a few lists recently, not just you, but with like three or four send to markets. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think the it's it's funny. I feel like the send to market um, numbers are definitely clustered in a smaller amount of deck lists that have a lot of copies. Yeah. Um, and then to go with the, the big debate we had uh, in last episode, then Shab um, released an article recently about um, sort of touching on the uh, Mabeloft Elite versus uh, Bastion Gatekeeper. Uh, Bastion Gatekeeper is number three with 203 copies showing up in deck lists. Um, number four is Bannerman. Um, with 200 copies, then we have Laser Blast, which it uh, with 174 copies, and then I'll stop reading copies. Um, 
And then next is Side Street Monitor, Okasa's Audience, Oni Hybrid. And then number nine is Shoal Dredger, the first shadow card. Uh, number 10 is Covenant Peacekeeper. Um, then we have a bunch of um, more Justice or Colorless cards. Number 15 is Darkwater Vines, the second shadow card. Uh, and then we have to go to 18 um, for Send for the Reserves. Um, which actually means it's a pretty important card because there's 104 copies. Um, but because we have about half as many time decks as the other colors, that's sort of proportionally sort of in line with the the, the top five or ten commons. Um, and then finally, we need to go all the way down to number 23 for Mabel off delete uh, with 97 copies. For the first primal card, yeah. For first primal card. Uh, followed by Uncommon All-Star Autotread. With yeah. uh, ni- 93 copies. Yeah, Autotread. Autotread is an entire uh, draft archetype all by itself. Yeah. It's like a de- your, your deck with Autotread or your deck that doesn't have Autotread. <laughs> those, those are your two strategies. Yeah. Uh, I'm only exaggerating a little. Yeah, and I mean, even more than that, it's like decks that have auto-tread in their first three turns or decks that don't. And uh... Yeah, Yeah, it's a strong card. Um, And then the next uncommon after auto-tread is Metal Fang still, right? Down at 40. No, it's Martial Efficiency. Oh, it's Martial Efficiency. Of course it is, yeah. And then then Metal Tread. Uh, Metal Metal Fang. Fang. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what if what if Metal Fang also had Auto Treads text on it? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, I do feel like they should have put Anti Regen in one other color, but you know, or even either. on one other card. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it would have been not. It wouldn't have helped matters if it was on another fire card. No, uh, that's what I mean. It's just like one other card in one other color. I think would have been helped someone i mean shadow effectively has anti-regen in the sense that it doesn't do damage with its kill spells you know um uh you can with uh with a with a with the with the shadow acolyte you can still kill something with one toughness even if it has regen so it kind of has a little built-in um built-in anti-regen but and then anything that can stun can stun something with regen. You know, there are there are things there are ways that regen is a less powerful ability than Aegis, but in most cases, of course, it's very strong. Yeah, discard a guard to give a unit minus one minus one. That's what that's what Shadow needed. <laughs> it's what it needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, All right. This is the world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> it's auto treads world and we're just living in it yep <laughs> um all right so then um i guess we'll move on to our main topic which is elysian here yeah let's do so uh so we're going to talk about elysian and you made a really good um outline for this so i'm going to let you take point on these ideas and and just add in some clarifying statements here and there okay We'll we'll see how this goes then. Yeah, um, <laughs> I have a lot of confidence. I think it's good. 
Yeah. So I think the first thing you can you notice in Elysian is um since set 10 is a tribal set, that there's two tribes that Elysian overlaps in, and that is uh, soldiers and mandrakes. And so I kind of went into this thinking that I would try to build a soldier deck, like an example soldier deck and a, a mandrake deck. And sort of how I, I went into tackling this topic is um, I made something uh, called the deck skeleton, which is a concept that I heard originally from Sam Black, who's a pro magic player. And how he prepares for new formats is he takes all the commons um, and then maybe uh, a couple uncommons. And for each color pair, he just like sees if he can build a skeleton of a deck um, out of the commons and maybe an uncommon or two uh, to see, to to get a a gauge of like how supported all the different archetypes are at common. And um, I kind of did this um, a sort of did a similar thing, I, except I, I made a, a full deck list. And what I did was I used uh, all our seven win data and kind of figured out what the average amount of commons and uncommons and uh, were in a deck. And so our, our seven win deck list for set 10 we're averaging about seven and a half uncommons per deck. And so I thought, uh, let's try to make a good looking Elysian soldier deck and a good looking Elysian Mandrake deck with about seven or eight uncommons and then the rest commons and see if we can build the deck. Um, to make a long story short, I feel like I am was unable to do that with Mandrakes. <laughs> mm -hmm. okay. And uh, the reason is, um, because there are cards that kind of support the Elysian Mandrake deck idea, but they're different and not a lot of them. So with the Zine and Mandrake cards, they care about ultimates and having a lot of ultimates, triggering ultimates, which kind of grow your board or give all of your Mandrakes benefits while, um, the Elysian-centered uh, Mandrakes seem to care about transforming cards. And um, not only that is our transforming cards sort of a less supported mechanic, there's just also fewer payoffs for it. So it's like... The main payoff is the 2-2 Mandrake that gives all Mandrakes plus one strength and decay when you transform a card. That's an uncommon. <laughs> and that's it. That's your only yeah. payoff. Yeah, the only other one is there's also Feral Mandrake in the draft packs, which is also an uncommon and has crazy influence requirements. Um, and Feral Mandrake is the 2-2 with Imbue that if you have four primal and transform a card, uh, it comes back into play. I forgot about that card. Yeah, also an uncommon, and yes, crazy influence requirements. Uh, yes, those would be your two payoffs, but they're both uncommon. And also most of the... Well, plunder is a transform, so it's not that hard to transform cards. Um, but, uh, I, d I mean, yeah, the, the chances that you're going to have enough payoffs where you can make your deck about transforming is pretty slim. Yeah. 
and that's uh, that's been that was my sense, and especially because the two mandrakes that do cause transformation are the the uncommon uh, four time time three five that silences and plunders. Yeah, there's that one, and then there's the simula the mandrake simulacrum can also plunder. Also, root ripper. Root oh, Ripper yeah, also Root Ripper transforms. Transforms yeah, Root anything into a 3-3. Three, three. That's very good with that with the 2-2 two, two that gives everything decay, in fact. Yes. But you also need a lot of things to go correct there because you kind of want to give your 3-3 three, three decay, which means you need to have another unit on board that's worse than a 3-3. Three, three. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's a lot of moving pieces. Yes. Um, I will say the one cute thing... Um, and I don't remember if we've mentioned this on the podcast with that uh, tutu that cares about transformation um, that can happen anywhere. So if you have a card that transforms, like say um, uh, what are those called? The stand, not the standards. Are they called temple standard? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The standards. Yeah. The yeah, standard watch standard temple standard. Yeah. Yeah. All of those transform when you hit five power in your deck. So that will trigger uh, the transform clause on your 2-2. That can also happen in the market. So if you just pick an off-color standard and just stick it in your market for the heck of it, uh, when you get to five power, you will trigger your 2-2. Okay, I didn't know that. I didn't think about it. So that's a pro tip. Uh, yeah. Also, that's a shambling sapsucker. I looked it up. Shambling sapsucker is the 2-2 uh, that cares about transformations. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, still a lot of moving parts to kind of make that happen, but it is a f totally free effect. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like the uh, uh, the um, geez, what's it called? Uh, the stalking cyberfang, where you need to have that card on board by turn <laughs> by yeah. turn five. Uh, right. So it's almost like a a weird fate effect. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just like. It's like it's it, yeah, it's like uh, like a footnote on the card rather than a real effect. <laughs> like that, you're just go it's just going to randomly be really good occasionally. Yes, but um, so I think we need to focus on the soldier deck here. I think so. I think and Mandrakes so, have the yeah. Anyway, yeah, let's focus on soldiers. Let's soldier yeah. on. Yes, exactly. So the soldier deck, just like um, Huru soldiers. Uh, which I think is the more common soldier deck, uh, focuses on Amplify. Um, and then... And what's kind of interesting about the fact that there's a lot of cards that I think both Amplify and like Amplify in the Elysian version of the soldier deck is that there are very few cards that care actually about the soldier type the main one being asri scout uh in time which is the the three cost two two uncommon that uh every time you amplify a spell it gives all soldiers plus one plus one a uh, nice thing about that is it itself is a soldier so it gets buffed every time you amplify for the t but just for the turn and right. um this is a great uh go wide card but i think it's not necessarily a key card to elysian amplify decks or what i'm calling elysian amplify decks um 
But what it does mean is there is possibilities for Elysian's Elysian to go wide with uh, cards like Send for the Reserves, Azri Scout, and they can also go tall because in Primal you get uh, Mavel off Delete, Frostclaw Rider, um, and cards like Leyline Tracer or Ancient Machinist that with Amplify can go very big. Um, and so it's actually one of the things I like about this archetype is because it's kind of very reminiscent of uh, sort of the big spells from set nine, where you're just like, you're using these cheap amplify cards to to be to become very big spells. And so you get to use them early, but also late. And then using them late as a big spell can like trigger all of these sort of all of these cards that care about the number of times you amplify or the cost of a spell because with spells um that when you amplify you're actually increasing the cost of the spell unlike uh with units and with um and with weapons right and so i think what the strength of like one of the strengths of the illusion soldier deck is that a lot of your cards scale really well like your send for the reserve scales well the more power you have the better it is uh, Mavelopt Elite gets more dangerous as the game goes on. Um, cards like Azri Scout and Leyline Tracer, uh, you know, they're they're more dangerous the more power you have. So you've got a lot of uh, flood proofing in your in your deck because a lot of your cards um, don't cost a lot to begin with, but get better and better as as uh, like whether or not you draw power um, as long as you can get any kind of synergy going, a lot of the synergy is really strong. Yes. And the other nice thing I think about this archetype is because your cards scale so well, and some of the cards that scale well, like Maveloft Delete and Ancient Machinist, you know, you can play, and Leyline Tracer, you know, like you can play early, and then your opponent just has to live in constant fear of these two and three drops or four drops, you know, these just like these cheaper units, like an ancient machinist on the board is just very scary. Cause you just never know if you can block once your opponent has five power. Yeah. Once and you play same... an ancient machinist, then your opponent has to choose every turn, uh, whether they want to try to develop their board or like spend one of their cards, killing your two one. Yes, exactly. And the exact same thing with Mabel off delete. Um, you know, just another scary card that can just, you can play it on two and it can just sit there until you draw the right cards to make it good. And your opponent has to be sweating, trying to decide whether they should use one of their premium, you know, cards, removal cards on this two power card. And then there's also a bunch of uncommons that, um, that work well with these amplify cards, um. You know, the, the main one from set 10 is Maveloft Quartermaster, which is the sort of the uncommon card that fits in this archetype. And that is the five cost three, three. And every time you amplify, you draw a card. Uh, so this card likes uh, cards that cheaply amplify. So the main, I think the main example here is Hardiness. Uh, goes I think the really main well example, with... the main example for all of these is going to be Hardiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's very true. And um, and the, the reason why hardiness is so good with any card that cares about uh, the cost of spells or with number of times you amplify 
is because it's a one cost card and it's amplify is one. And so you can get very granular um, with how you use with how you use it and how big you want to go and stuff like that. Um, and a, a, a couple others, one we've mentioned a few times, the Leyline Tracer, which is the four time time uh, three three with decay. And then it gets plus X plus X equal to the cost of, cost of a, a spell until the end of the turn. So this card can just like close out games if it goes unblocked or if your opponent tries to block it, double block it, do anything. You can just play a big spell, you know, kill five units <laughs> in one shot um, and then shrink, <laughs> shrink the ones you don't kill. It's a. Uh, an incredibly powerful and scary card. An another cute card that uh, I think people might not think about is Glacial Shaper, which is also in the draft packs. And that is the uh, three primal two four with renown play. Um, I don't know what type of unit type it is, but it plays a unit of XX equal to the cost of the spell that you renowned it with. Yeah, I think it has overwhelm too. It might have overwhelm. And what's, again, nice with Glacial Shaper is you can put, um, you know, you can cast a Hardiness for eight and you've suddenly made an 8-8 eight, eight overwhelm. And what's really nice with Glacial Shaper is as long as you're just hitting it with one of the uh, amplifies or if you're just, you know, casting it on Glacial Shaper and then putting the rest of the plus two plus twos on the other units that doesn't matter it still counts the whole spell for a card like glacial shaper um, yeah that's fun you can do that with uh you can do that with cobra gear too is you can give as many cobra gears to like different units and as long as you hit glacier shaper with one of them you still make the full six six or nine nine uh monstrosity exactly um so yeah so those are i think the key commons and uncommons uh that care about amplify or big spells and then there's just like a ton of really great amplify cards in this archetype too you know hardiness which we've talked about there's send for the reserves which is the uh, two cost time spell that plays a two one and then you can amplify for two to create more two ones so this is just like a really rock solid common but it also synergizes with the rest of your cards. It doesn't synergize with Glacial Shaper because it doesn't target, but but it's still a great card for this uh, archetype. Yeah, it's good with all. It's good with the commons. It's good with Machinist and and Mabeloft Elite. Yep. And then there's um, in the other commons, I think that are uh, st still good. I like these a little bit less, but I'm still happy to play uh, one or two depending on just how many payoffs I have. Are the Cobra Gear, which is the three-cost spell that plays uh, Cobra Fang, which is a plus-two attack and deadly weapon on a unit, and then you can amplify for three to play another Cobra Fang on a different unit. Um, and then there's Frostbite, which is the three-cost... Is it three-cost spell? It's three-cost, yeah. It's three-primal. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's the, the three-primal spell that stuns a unit, and then you can amplify for two to deal one damage to a unit yeah yeah and you can um, spread that damage out where however you like yeah come to think of it that's another way to to um cast a spell for five to make ancient machinist a five five 
That's the yes. one that I couldn't think of earlier. Yeah, and and it, what's kind of nice about that is you get the stun stun a blocker, maybe ping one of their chump blockers off, and then hit them with hit them with the five five, which is uh, pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah, there's uh, nothing like and plus anything that's a fast spell like Cobra Gear, Frostbite, Hardiness. Um, uh, those are the three big ones, I guess. Uh, it, 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 is you can you can attack with your ancient machinists and Mabel off the leets and leyline tracers into practically any board <laughs> once you have a once you have a fast spell that can amplify in your hand. Yeah. Because then what is your opponent even going to do? They don't know what you have in your hand, and it's impossible for them to block effectively. Yeah, exactly. And then um, and then another thing, this isn't exactly to do with Amplify, but just an, another nice little synergy that Elysian has going on is another cute synergy that um, Elysian has is Stormcaller, which is the, the four primal primal O2 uh, that can exhaust to ping a unit is, I think, one of the better cards in this format. And Cobra Gear is one of the few ways to give it deadly, which makes it an incredible card. Um, and so, yeah, it's not something you're building your deck around, but I think there are two cards that you kind of already want in your deck, and those are always nice to have. All right, and then there's also just a bunch of really good uncommons that help. Um, Vicious Overgrowth, which is the two primal uh, deal three damage with Overwhelm Slow Spell that you can amplify for two to put a random primal card in your market. That's It's just like a great card to have. You're happy to play it for two. You're happy if you have some pieces on board to amplify it for more. Kill a unit, turn your Ancient Machinist into a 6-6. Six, six. Um, sounds like yeah, a great it's play. a it's a weird card because often you don't uh, you're not expecting to get those cards out of the market. It's just a spell where you can choose how much you pay for it. Yeah, because <laughs> the same effect you're just paying four or six voluntarily for it. <laughs> yeah, and I think Elysian is like yeah yeah it makes just really good use of of that a uh, weird ability. Uh, there's a card like Maddening Whisper, which is the four prime or four time time. Uh, put a unit in your opponent's hand, and then you can amplify it for for two for two to yeah, put. Yeah, it scales a, really unit. fast. The initial cost is high, but then it scales fast. Yeah, and this is a game-ending card, and it's even more game-ending when your units on board get bonuses because you're you're casting it. Um, and then realign the stars, I think, works pretty well in Elysian. Uh, one of the main reasons, and this is realign the stars, is the three primal card that allows you to draw an amplify card from your deck. And this can get um, all of these amplify cards that we're talking about. But in Elysian, it can get send for the reserves, which is... Uh, also, like a great way to end the game, you know, because like you're late in the game, you top deck to realign the stars, <laughs> you know, you you realign the stars for send for, for the reserves, and then next turn you play five two ones that can go wide and attack in. Um, so yeah. I think it has a, a you know a, a lot of, or you could get the uh, maddening whispers. It it has a lot of utility in this um, in this archetype. 
And you have a handful of of game finishing like big units that you can fetch with realign the stars like starving vorlunk and forbidden tree, uh, like their cards with amplify. So they'll activate your 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 little cards that uh, ping off of amplify, while also being a game ending threat. Yes, and then um, the one last card is fluctuate reality, which I think has just been one of the sort of overperformers. Um, it's you know because it's fluctuate reality is the three primal um, the three p- primal spell that ter- if it's one of your units, it turns into a random unit that costs two more. and if it's an opponent's unit, it turns into a random unit that's two less. We've talked about it a few times on the show and you can amplify it for three, I think it's for two. For two, for two, it's another it's another card that scales pretty quickly. Yes. Okay. So sorry, you can amplify it for two, and this is just a great way to get rid of opponents' flyers to turn their impactful uh, rares or legendaries into much worse units. Sometimes better units. You know, you, sometimes you get unlucky there. Um, Occasionally, it's a real good way to get rid of uh, of um, bashers, though barricade bashers, because usually a one. A one cost unit is worse than a three co- than a five five, and also yeah. they spent two cards on it. Yeah, I think the one of the worst hits, uh, or best for your opponent, worst for you, is when they get the life speaker. I've had that happen yeah. to me a couple times. That's rough. I'm like, it's, man, it's they're rare for that to happen, to but it's four pretty four. annoying. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, just as big. <laughs> That's just um, unlucky. Normally, yeah. fluctuate reality is good, but yeah, sometimes it backfires. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I guess what I ho- I hoped you got is there's just like a lot of synergy between the time and the primal cards. And what the other thing that I wanted to highlight is there's just a lot of car good cards for this archetype in both set 10 and the draft packs. This is not a deck that you necessarily need to rely on just the set 10 cards or anything. You know, time is giving time and primal are giving you a lot out of the draft packs that you can get. Uh, a lot of it is uncommon, but um I think I think the in terms of practical advice um that all of these cards are are playable anyway. But if it looks like you are going to be in Elysian, then you want to prioritize them a little bit more. Um, and uh, I think that applies like a little bit more with, say, a card like Ancient Machinist, which if you're not playing Elysian and if you're not playing an Amplified deck isn't quite as strong. You're not going to have quite as many ways to activate it. Uh, but if it looks like you're going to be going into this general archetype, um, then uh, then you prioritize Ancient Machinist a little bit more, you know? Um, yes. If I'm, if I'm playing a Praxis deck, I'm probably not going to be taking Ancient Machinist that high because I have better two drops and it's not going to fit into the Sentinel's theme that well. There's not going to be any payoff there. But if I'm in Amplify, then I definitely am, am going to prioritize it differently. Exactly. And, and that's the kind of cards that you want, like powerful cards that other people don't necessarily want as much. And I, I I think, you know, people who have drafted a bunch, at least I personally have felt that where 
you know, sort of based on your set nine knowledge, you've taken ancient machinists really high and then you end your draft and you're like, oh, I have one spell, (laughs) (laughs) five or more. And that's a thing that can happen. And so this is this is not just like a generically good card anymore. And so and that's kind of what you want is cards that other people don't value as much, but are in a in your deck. Right, exactly. All right. Uh, the other exciting thing about Elysian is it has uh, two great rares. Um, one of them, uh, we, talked ab- we talked about both of these in our rare episode, but uh, number one is the, the time one, Bastion Garrison, which is uh, four time, and it uh, gives all your soldiers plus one, plus one, and then every time you amplify you make a 2-1 soldier, which then become a 3-2 because um, they get plus one, plus one, because they're a soldier. And I think Hats is looking it up because it might be four-time time. No, no. Uh, yeah, it is four-time time. <laughs> I was actually looking up Glacier Shaper to see if they had changed it into a soldier. They have not. It is a shaman. Yeah, no, I know. It's a little sad, but it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most things are soldiers. Um, and also, uh, Bastion Garrison, of course, is a great card, um, but uh, Hardiness is the best way of activating it. Um, and so, of course, you have to be playing Time and Primal in order to do that. Bastion yes. Garrison's a good card no matter what you do, but it's probably at its best in Elysian just because of just because Hardiness exists. Yeah, because Hardiness exists, and then, I mean, in Time itself, you have... Uh, you have Send for the Reserves, which is incredible with the card... Um, and then you have a lot of these cards we've been talking about, like Frostbite, um, that have maybe a slightly expensive initial cost, but cheaper amplifies. Um, all those cards go great with Bastion Garrison. Uh, then the other card you get is the Elysian, um, the, the Elysian Rare, uh, which is Custom Officer, which is the four Elysian, and it is a four three. And on Summon, uh, you put... Uh, you uh, what you do you put do an there? enemy you put an enemy unit into its owner's market. Okay, so you put an enemy yeah you put an enemy unit into its owner's market and then on entomb they get to play that unit. So the key here uh, is that uh, this is an entomb ability that gives them their unit back, and so if customs officer leaves the battlefield uh, any way other than being killed, they that unit that they removed. Um, is staying there. <laughs> it is gone for good. Uh, so that means if your opponent kills a customs officer with send to market, they don't get their unit back. And if you transform your customs officer with, say, a fluctuate reality, uh, they don't get their unit back. And if you teleport your customs officer back to your hand, they don't get your unit back. So uh, there's quite a few ways in Elysian Elyse- in specifically um, to make customs officer feel almost abusive. Yes. And then there's just like a not quite as powerful as teleporting or fluctuate reality. But once again, hardiness works pretty well with customs officer because three health is kind of not fragile, but there's, you know, there are spells like vicious overgrowth that can kill that can deal three damage. Or if your opponent laser blasts, you know, you have the hardiness there to buff up its health to keep it alive. Um, because Killing a customer, 
customs officer can be sort of uh, a disastrous thing for you. It can be, um, depending on what you remove and if it has a summon ability. But at its base, customs officer is a removal card on a stick. And you just happen to be um, in... It just happens to be in factions that have a lot of ways of, of making it very, very good. So that it... Uh, you know, it would be a great card if you couldn't fluctuate reality it or teleport it or temple, temple tactics it. Um, but the fact that those cards are cards that you probably want to be playing anyway, and you're looking for them, and you'll probably have them in your deck, uh, that just makes it great. All right. And then uh, the final thing I wanted to talk about are just a, a bunch of incidental synergies um, that you can find in, in Elysian. Um, or, you know, not necessarily just Elysian, but, you know, Fluctuate Reality just has a lot of these uh, cute little synergies. You know, we mentioned the Customs Officer. Another is with Wind Channeler, which is, uh, you know, a three drop that plays Violent Gust, which can deal five damage to a flyer. So now you have a three cost one, two on the board. And so that doesn't seem necessarily like a great card. But when you turn that three cost unit into a five cost unit, now you feel like you've really gained something. Um, another one that I wanted to mention, sort of like Glacial Shaper is not a soldier. Um, uh, another non-soldier that works really well in this deck is uh, Grave Watch Ancestor. Um, and I think one of the reasons is because you're making big units in this deck. That's, that's one of the things you can do. Uh, you know, your Ancient Machinist grows really big. If it dies, all of a sudden your Gravewatch Ancestor can become huge because you have a 5-5 five, five, or a 6-6 six, six in the Void. Um, same with Mabeloft Elite. Uh, then there's also cards like Court Mage, which is not like an all-star card, but it is a 4-cost 2-5 that is also a soldier and also has Pledge. So it's not a bad card to have in this deck. Um, Tower Top Patrol, also a soldier. Um, Frostclaw Rider also gets pretty big. So all of these cards can really turn Gravewatch Ancestor into a powerhouse. So does Gravewatch Ancestor... Does does Frostclaw Rider uh, keep changing sizes when it's in the void? I guess it must. So Gravewatch Ancestor uh, gains a bonus based on however big Frostclaw Rider is in the void, which means like the more soldiers you have on board... When you activate Gravewatch Ancestor, the bigger it gets, right? That's how it works. I, I have a feel. I I honestly haven't done that. I kind of just assumed it did that because for some cards it does do that. But I would yeah. not, dear listeners, I would not, you know, bet my life on it. Yeah, check. Look look at the look at the Frostclaw Frostclaw Rider in your void before you activate Ancestor to see what kind of yeah. bonus you're getting. For the two of you out there who draft Elysian, uh, give this uh, give this a try. Give that a give that a shot. <laughs> but i i will say uh out of all of this you know i just feel like this deck should be doing could possibly be doing better than it is i think there's an archetype there but i'll tell you what it what it doesn't have is quite as much redundancy as some of the other archetypes um, and one of the main problems is that Send for the Reserves is almost is completely unique in the effect that it has. Um, what you want is multiple soldiers on the board. Um, 
So, so the play pattern that I've observed when I've played decks like this, not necessarily Legion, but having some of these same synergies, is that I'll be able to create quite a few small units and then one or two large units. You know, you'll you'll have your uh, your Wormstone, your Ancient Machinist, your Mabeloft Elite, maybe your um, uh, Frostclaw Rider, and those are huge. And then you're at some kind of a board stall. So what you have to do is attack with your large unit break down your opponent's defense because they, they're forced to um, deal with the large unit. And then once they have no defense left, then you've got all of these small units that you can swarm them with. So you've got this go-wide strategy with with one or two very large units uh, to keep your opponent from being able to absorb all of your small units with uh, your defense. And that's a totally legitimate way to end games. Um but in order to go wide, you don't have a lot of tools. You don't, because send for the reserves is a common that you only get in two packs, and there's nothing like it in any of the other packs. If this set were designed like a Magic the Gathering set, where they make sure that everything has redundancy so you can consistently draft archetypes, there would be something like a three drop, uh, three two that also makes a one one when, uh, when it comes into play that creates two soldiers. There, that card doesn't exist. The only one is Send for the Reserves. Right. Um, so you've got a lot of these li- these great little internal synergies, but you don't. Um, but you don't. Uh, if you don't get a few key cards, your deck is going to be significantly worse. And though I think those cards are Hardiness and Send for the Reserves. If you can't get those, and it's easy to just go through it all of Pack Four without seeing either one then the deck doesn't quite have its linchpins, you know? Um, so it's fragile. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, the, the one thing I would say in its defense, this is not necessarily going wide, but the fact that it has, uh, you know, Send for the Reserves, Mavaloft Elite, and Ancient Machinist is all as pretty reasonable two-drops means that... you. Y- you, you know, you still have to you have to open the cards and and get them, but the the pieces are there to get enough two drops to kind of go wide. And like we mentioned, all of those two drops also do well in the late game too. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I I think that like in a perfect world, in order to make this all work a little better, there would be an uncommon that creates multiple units. And actually there is, come to think of it, now that I'm saying it, it just doesn't make soldiers. Uh, Yes, and that is the Glen Scout, which is the uh, two-cost 2-2 flyer in Elysian, and then it has Amplify 3 to play a 3-3 Mandrake. So that is... Actually, I mean, that does everything that you want it to. It has Amplify. It creates multiple units. Um, if it made soldiers, that would be fine. I think it would be nice if it did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was one of the, it, you know, just the weird way to throw a bone to Elysian Mandrakes while not having any transform effect on it. Yeah, it really should have been a transform card if it was going to do that. It's an odd... It's trying to... It, the the design on that card is is trying to do a lot and it just can't do everything that it needs to. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's just, it, but it's also not a spell. You know, it, it, there's there's a lot of moving parts here, and the problem is that even though a lot of these cards scale very well, they do need 
help to scale well. Uh, uh, and you do need those big spells and you do need those big amplify spells. And this is the trap that I've fallen into repeatedly, but drafting Primal especially, is that uh, it seems like there's a lot of great amplify spells until you just don't see any for an entire draft. And then it's like, yeah. well, I guess this was a bigger risk than I thought. Yeah. And I think that can just happen when the cards are just generically good. You know, I, I think the word is out. People like hardiness. They're taking it pretty highly. Uh, Vicious Overgrowth is just like a really good card. Fluctuate Reality is just a really good card. Maddening Whisper, just a really good card. Um, you know, it's even better in in this deck, but it's every time deck is happy right. to play. All of it. these are desirable cards, and so they'll be taken. They're, uh, but... But then you're as an archetype, if you're depending on some of those cards, uh, then it's a little rough on you if you've really gone in on just this strategy. Yes. Yeah. And um, I guess the the last thing I, I would say sort of as a counterpoint to what you were saying is the w one feeling I have about this deck is. I'm theoretically like less worried about the soldier unit type because not that many cards care about it. It's basically it's, just Frostclaw Rider if you're in a legion. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's the uh, Asri. I mean, there's Frostclaw Rider, Asri Scout, and then the rare, the Bastion. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's um, those three cards. You know, so I, I'm, I'm viewing this deck more as an Amplify deck where a bunch of the units happen to be soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. So you get that little perk. I, I, it's funny. As, I, don't, I haven't really loved Asri Scout. Um, a 2-2 flyer for three isn't that great in this format. There's a lot of ways to counter it. There's a lot of better flyers. Um, but when you have an Asri Scout and even one other soldier on board and a hardiness in hand, you're you're probably winning that game. So <laughs> if it's that's that's when Asri Scout is at its best is is in Elysian for sure. Uh, again, because hardiness exists and it's a light and however many soldiers you have on the board, that's the number of fireballs you can send at your opponent's face now. <laughs> it's really something. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess so the the final sort of unanswerable question I I have is like looking at this deck skeleton and all the cards we talked about and just how many like really powerful cards there are it's it is just kind of surprising to me that Elysian's not showing up more because no one is cuz also just like in the queues against people I play no one is really playing Elysian so it feels like it should be underdrafted i think uh you know a lot of people think primal or time are are sort of the worst colors. And so you would think that would make at least one of them <laughs> in underdrafted color. So you were able to get the good cards of it out of it. And yet it, it does. I have still not really found myself in, in Elysian that often. Neither have I. Do you want to take a look at, um, at these deck skeletons in a little bit more detail? Yeah. Um, why don't I start with, uh, I get. Should we should we start with the 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 deck that I have that is that did go seven wins? It's fairly early in the format, but yeah. 
Um, so I did have some success there uh, with this. It is mostly monoprimal, though, with some time with some choice time cards to to beef things up. Um, and the deck is I'm not going to describe each card, but you'll recognize a lot of them from what we've already talked about. Um, and then most of the other cards are from older formats. So there was a Locust, a 2-2 Flyer for 2, two Mabeloft Elites, two Rage Grafters, um, a Makeshift Barrier, Wind Channeler, Yeti Taunt Patrol, Acrid Scorpion, Root Ripper, Mabeloft Quartermaster times 2, a Forbidden Tree, a Starved Vorlunk, two Wormstones, a Horn of Plenty, a Hardiness, a Lightning Strike, a Send for the Reserves, a Vicious Overgrowth, Cobra Gear, Fluctuate Reality, Polymorph to realign the stars, an edict of Grodoff, uh, and some power, and then some uh, market cards, uh, none of which are exciting. So what I had here is straight up an Amplify deck, because I had to realign the stars to go grab Amplify cards. Uh, so even though I had only one copy of Hardiness, I might as well have had three copies, and you only need to cast one Hardiness to end games. Um, yep. And, and I then had... you have... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. And then you had like what you t- we talked about earlier is because um, realign the stars can get a unit. Uh, it can grab both, y- you know, your two big top end pieces in Forbidden Tree and Starved Vorlunk late game. Uh, and then I have all as other large units the two Wormstones, um, and then I have a go wide. Uh, a little bit of aid in going wide in Horn of Plenty. And I only had one copy of Send for the Reserves, but again, because I was playing to realign the stars, um, I could uh, I could get it whenever I needed it. So it, it really kind of is the deck that we've been talking about. Um, and it did work really well. <laughs> so there's, there's evidence. <laughs> it can be done. Uh, I was obviously lucky to get a couple of Wormstones and a couple of Rage Crafters. Um, and sort of all all of the pieces that I needed. Um, but that's kind of what it looks like. And uh, there's a lot of cards here that other people wouldn't be drafting that high. Um, so, you know, it, it is doable. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll just review my deck skeleton. Um, so as a reminder, this is uh, a deck I made with the rules of only playing uh, eight uncommons, and then the rest have to be commons, and about a 50-50 mix of draft packs and set 10 cards uh, because you can't really make a deck that's 100% set 10. Uh, so trying to sort of just be fair about how possible this deck is. And I think when I read these cards, I like, I, ho- I hope you think to yourself, oh, this seems like a plausible deck that I could draft, which is at least what I said when, <laughs> when I created this. Uh-huh. Uh, so it starts out uh, two ancient machinists, uh, uh, the Glen Scout, that's the Elysian Uncommon. Uh, two Mableloft Elite, a Speed Grafter, an Azri Scout, um, a Glacial Shaper, the Gravewatch Ancestor we talked about. Uh, just for a, a three drop, we have Overdrawn drawn Harvester, which is the three cost three three Mandrake. So that has no particular synergies, but you find these cards in your deck sometimes. Um, then there's the Wind Channeler, a Yeti Taunt Patrol, a Court Mage. Uh, we have a Jarl's Frostkin, the Leyline Tracer, Tower Top Patrol, and a Mavaloft Quartermaster uh, to end the units. And then we have a Wormstone. And then in the Spell Suite, uh, two Hardiness, a Lightning Strike, two Send for the Reserves, a Vicious Overgrowth, a Cobra Gear, a Fluctuate Reality, a Frostbite, and a Maddening Whisper. 
And yeah. 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 And that is a perfectly plausible deck. And I think it would be strong. Yeah, you know, it it tops out at five with the Mabeloft Quartermaster, but that's like one of the things I like about this deck is because so many of your cheap drops can grow really big, you don't really need to have a top-end heavy deck. Um, but if you have a Realign the Stars or whatever, you can put in, because there is some really good top-end in Forbidden Tree, uh, especially Star Vorlunk is, <laughs> you know, a, a mixed card, but I think you can play it if you need a finisher. There's a... Uh, it's certainly better as a finisher than it is a play on curve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very, very <true. laughs> on curve, it's a 6-6 six, six for 7, but it's way better if you have like a ton of powers in the room. Yeah, and then there's the Frostclaw Rider, because again, you're just going to have so many incidental soldiers uh, can also be a good finisher in this deck. Yeah, and uh, I think your curve can be really low because your spells uh, can are, are have the option to be very expensive. If your whole deck is, uh, if all of your spells are things like Cobra Gear and Hardiness and Fluctuate Reality and Maddening Whisper, then you're fine drawing more power because that's just more uh, big game-ending plays that you can do with your spells. Yeah. So the yep. actual curve of your units can totally be like what two to four, and you're and you're good. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's really all I have to say about Elysian. I don't know. I don't know how well this episode will age if if they totally change up the draft box in a week's time. But uh, I I would hope that they would try to make Elysian stronger, uh, and that they would have statistics that show. That, uh, that that fire justice shadow decks are pretty much dominating the draft, uh, and that they need to do something if they want to balance out the factions. I'm not sure that they want to balance out the factions. I don't know if it's their highest priority, but if they tried to, it would be wise to just give uh, Elysian a little bit more punch. Yes. Great. So I I think we'll end the episode there. Okay. Is that good? Yeah, I think so. I've I've said all I need to say about this uh, this this, this charming <laughs> this charming but unusual deck archetype. Yes. <laughs> uh, this, this quirky <laughs> offbeat. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, all I know is every time I look at this deck, I'm like, wow, this looks so sweet. Um, yeah. This deck, but, this deck that you never drafted and is only theoretical. Yeah. 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 yeah, looks really, really sweet. <laughs> Wait, I, you know that that sounds like cheating, but trust me, when I, I made the Elysian Mandrakes version, I didn't think, "Oh wow, this looks so sweet." <laughs> no matter how theoretical I tried to make it, um, so uh, that's what makes me think that there might be something more if we all look out a little harder and dig a little deeper to try to draft Elysian. I think it's good to have this in your back pocket um, if uh, because sometimes signals are strange when you're drafting Eternal um, and uh, something's open that you don't expect it to be. And if you find that you're just not like I, I think a lot of people like we were saying that better up uh, drafts for Khan all the time. And I tend to draft Argentport these days until I get sick of it. Uh, but they're not always open because other people have the same ideas. Uh, and if you find, oh, look, it looks like uh, it looks like both time and primal are open here, but I'm not sure which of these sort of mediocre time and primal cards I should be taking. 
uh, take the ones that fit this deck better, and and you'll be in in better shape uh, going forward into the draft because uh, you've already anticipated that you might end up in this deck, and maybe it's a risk, and maybe you don't get the payoff cards that you need to really pull the whole thing together. Um, but sometimes your your draft isn't going that well after the first pack, and you want to set yourself up for possibly getting into a real archetype rather than just scrabbling together uh, whatever dreck you can from the packs and, and, and stumbling through a bit of a train wreck. You can set yourself up to at least have a percentage chance of, of getting a deck that where everything works together really well. So, Yeah, and I, and I think the most likely way you end up in this deck is Primal's open pack one, then pack two and three, time is open, and then uh, Primal's open again in pack four, and then hopefully pick up a couple send for the reserves early or something. Yeah, seeing a late send for the reserves is a good sign that you might be able to do this deck, too. Yes. It is a really good card, but because people stay away from time, they don't take it as high as it deserves. Yes. All right, cool. Uh, I think we'll end our show there. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this deep dive on Elysian, and I think we'll try to do you know, a couple more of these after. I think the next couple episodes, especially if by Thursday uh, the draft pack changes, we might do, uh, we'll probably talk about the draft pack changes and then in follow-up episodes, maybe do a couple drafts until things settle down and then maybe we'll start breaking down archetypes again. Um, Sounds good. Sounds good. And so, yeah, that's all for this week. So thank you again to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send in all your 7-1 deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Good night. Goodbye.